So I think that's probably the biggest change is just the connection piece because he knows I've always, and I remind him, I always have your back. And when you're struggling in school or when you're having problems with a kid or you're having problems with a teacher, I am always there for you. And so, um, so that hasn't changed. It's just the connection piece has changed. Hello, and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. This is episode 16, in which I have the pleasure of interviewing the wise and wonderful Yakini Pierce of ADHD Love 2020. Yakini is a mom with ADHD who has two children, both with ADHD. She has an MBA and degrees in engineering and mass communications, but her strong passion is advocating for parents that have children with ADHD and parents and adults in general that have ADHD through her ADHD Love platform. It was through advocating on her kids' behalf that Yakini began to realize she personally identified with a lot of their ADHD traits, both in her childhood and also in adulthood. And ultimately, she sought a diagnosis for herself. Yakini also noticed that some of the online ADHD parenting communities she had joined were rife with stigma and negativity and even shame about their kids' diagnoses. So she set out to foster a more positive, warm, and empathetic community for parents with ADHD and parents of kids with ADHD. We also talk about why many of the smartest, most thoughtful, and perceptive voices in the front lines of the ADHD community belong to Black women. Okay, let's get straight into this lovely conversation with Yakini. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, um, <laughs> and I want to hear about your story in terms of coming to your own diagnosis, which was relatively recently. Yes. Um, but I think it's in, what fascinates me about your story from what I've learned already just from watching your interviews is the fact that your son was diagnosed and then four years went by, right? Before your daughter was diagnosed? Yes, right. And then, and it was your daughter's diagnosis that the, the, the light bulb kind of went off for you that you were like, oh, I should look into this. So uh, what was it about that whole experience, I guess, starting with your son and and what led up to your own diagnosis? And when was that? So just to take a step back. So my daughter, um, she was having some issues when she was really young. So like when she turned, it was weird. When she turned 18 months, she just started to get, um, I will say, really rambunctious and just was like all over the place. And so when she turned four years old, the journey actually started with my daughter. And so I went to a therapist and then I took her in to talk to the therapist who said, you know what, you really should get her tested for a couple of things. One it being ADHD and the other being autism. And so when I took her to the psychologist since she was four years old, he thought he, she was just a little too young um, to be diagnosed at that point. So he had decided that, you know, if there's any issues, bring her back later. And so um, he says, but just keep watching for the symptoms, but I just don't want to diagnose her at four. Well, then my son started to show some signs and his situation was even worse because he had the hyperactivity impulsive diagnosis, um, which means that when he, for his perspective, when he um, would get upset or frustrated, 
he would literally just destroy things. Like he would walk into rooms and just, you know, knock things off of people's desks. Um, he would just get so angry. And um, so he really needed a lot of attention. And so um, when he turned five years old, that is when I decided to take him in. And by then I knew a little bit more about ADHD because keep in mind, I knew nothing about ADHD growing up. So all the struggles that I was having, it was just, you know, just kind of generally, okay, you just need to try a little bit harder or, um, and I'll talk a little bit in a little bit later, but my, you know, I was just really blessed to have the parents that I did who really put strategies in place, but did not know about ADHD. So when my son was going through what he was going through, we got him diagnosed, um, got him settled. And then um, now I was able to turn back to my daughter, who's now 11 years old, right? Seven years later, poor thing. (laughs) So because that's just, I mean, it was just years really getting a strategy in place for him. So once my daughter turned 11, she got her diagnosis. It was the inattentive. But all through this process, I was connecting to all of these things that they were going through. And I said, oh, my goodness, I see like myself in them. Right. I just see you know, my son was doing X and I could see me doing those things when I was little and my daughter was doing Y and I could see those things when I was little Um, and as an adult, not just when I was younger, but even as an adult. And I said, you know what, I need to go ahead and get myself checked out. And I did. And then I was diagnosed with ADHD, not specifically one or the other, um, but I was also diagnosed with the core morbidity. So with anxiety and depression. I see. Okay. And when was that? So um, that I'm 46 now, so I was diagnosed at 45, and so that was about August last year. Okay, yeah, I'm also 46. Okay, so <laughs> I have a so we probably had a very similar upbringing in the fact that like ADHD was just not even in anyone's orbit. <laughs> it was not. It was right. Not. Yeah, I remember when I kind of came out to I came out to my two older brothers first because I was like so. I have ADHD and you probably do too. (laughs) And this is why, and I'm saying this with love, but you might want to get this checked out. Um, And, you know, and it's funny because now I look back at all of my relatives and my father and my mother, and I'm like, did they both have it? Who, which one, who, you know? And my, my daughter who's 13, who just rolls her eyes and she's like, when mom has ADHD, everybody has ADHD. And I'm like, I know, right? So funny. But it's funny you say that because my mom and I, I joke with my mom all the time and I said, you know, she'll do different things. And I'm like, it's probably you. First, I was saying it's probably my dad. Then just literally the other week, I said, you know what? It's probably you that have ADHD. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's well, you got it from somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, I feel like that story, so many of us relate to that idea of, of, the um, the boy who is more sort of quote unquote disruptive, getting the diagnosis, um, and it, it just exhibiting so differently in in young girls and um, and so it's it's great that you sort of made all of those connections from such a young age, right? Because I sort of feel like I had. I had an inkling. I mean, I was also diagnosed last year. I call them, I'm calling them pandemic diagnoses or lockdown diagnoses because I think, you know, that really was what triggered the domino effect of, you know, 
my children were in school. I, I could do, you know, I had the sort of containers of time that worked well for me um, in terms of my work life balance. And then all of a sudden everybody was home and I felt like my life just fell apart. And that was the, the yeah. you know, even though ADHD had been suggested to me gently by my therapist for a couple of years, and I even had taken that, I had taken a self-assessment and, and scored almost perfectly and like would joke about how I aced this test for the first time in my life. Um, it wasn't until, it wasn't until everything just got like thrown up that, um, and, and all of our routines just ended up, were upended by lockdown that I think so many of us were like, I really need to, um, check this out or look, look more deeply into this and why I am doing the, what I'm doing. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So one thing that has, amazed me in in my brief foray into the ADHD community online is just how positive everybody is and so warm and so welcoming and so supportive and uplifting and I feel like you are just like on the front lines I mean you know your 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 social media is ADHD love and your your videos are just so helpful and uplifting and um, so I wanted to thank you, first of all, for that and for what you're offering to this community already. And I, you know, that's the other thing I love about the ADHD community is like so many of us, it's like, oh, I got a diagnosis and a week later I had written a book or I had started a podcast or I was doing videos, you know, like you're just like, you hit the ground running with this. Um, why do you think, why do you think this community is like that? So to be honest with you, there are, how do I say this? So there are warm communities and then there are what I call a little bit of more of a toxic community. So um, I have been part of a quite a few communities for a very long time now and had to drop certain communities because it was just very toxic. It was very negative. You had a lot of people who, um, even though their child may have been diagnosed, they truly just did not believe in the diagnosis or um, they just looked at it very negatively. Some of it I think was also shameful, um, which is not their fault, right? They're, they're thinking, what did I do to have a child you know, have ADHD? Did I do something wrong? Um, and so it just became a very toxic environment. So I decided that those type of communities for me just weren't healthy. Um, because I just did not want to, you know, read different posts and just feel down by the end, right? My, my reality is, I you know, we're an ADHD family. That's our reality. And along with ADHD comes with struggles, right? That's our reality. I mean, we already know that ADHD comes with struggles, but it's about how can we work through those struggles? How can we make our situations better? And how can we educate others who are willing to listen about ADHD? Um, how can I talk to other parents and uplift them when they're going through their struggles? I don't want people to go through this alone, right? It's just, um, it, when I was going through this, I thought, first of all, I was the only one. I didn't realize that ADHD was as big as it was. And I just felt lonely in my journey. And I felt I was fighting with, for my kids, um, even though technically my you know, daughter wasn't diagnosed at that time, I was still just fighting for them. But I didn't know how to fight. I didn't know 
um, what pathways to take. I didn't know how to advocate. So there was just so many things about ADHD I just did not know. And to be part of an unhealthy community, that just didn't help me. So I made sure, first of all, I wanted to be part of a healthy community. And then I wanted to um, be a part of those who are trying to make the road and the journeys better. And the reason why these communities are so healthy is because they believe in the same thing. They want to make the world better. They want to make their road for their children better. They want to make the road for themselves better. They don't want to live in shame. They don't want to be frustrated every day. They don't want to think, why am I doing certain things? They want to know why they're doing certain things and be okay with it, right? So being okay with some of those symptoms. I mean, it is what it is. You're going to go through it. So how do I work through those different things. So that's kind of why I think people are trying to be positive. And it's not toxic positivity because there's also toxic positivity, right? It's not like everything's perfect. Um, but like I said, we're grounded in reality, but how can we make things better? And I think that's what the community is trying to do. Yeah. And I think something that we share is that struggle of the unknown and and always feeling like there was something wrong with us and we, w- we couldn't quite put our finger on it. And so I think there's just an added layer of empathy that everybody has towards each other in terms of like, you know, one of the hardest things for me, and I think probably why I ended up in coaching is it was the fact that, it, you know, when I make a connection and I make a realization and I see that there's somebody who might still be struggling a couple steps back there, I immediately want to help that person. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from our own, up, you know, how we were raised in, in that, especially for those of us who were diagnosed in adulthood and just sort of feeling like, oh, there's so much needless struggling. Exactly. Yeah. And so now as a parent, um, my, I have a 13 year old daughter and a nine year old son. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm so endlessly fascinated by whether they do or they don't. Neither of them has gone through any sort of official diagnosis. My son Yes, it's clear. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot about my daughter that um, I notice you know, reminds me of my childhood and some of the things I struggled with. She's just really great at, at setting herself up for success in a way that I never was or my son was. I admire her for that. Um, your video on school anxiety, though, where you brought your son Ricky on and, and talked about it was so great. Oh, my goodness. I related to it so deeply. Because, um, you know, I think a lot of my own awareness and a lot of my own getting to this diagnosis came from remote learning and seeing for the seeing up close my son who's in fourth grade, like how much he was struggling with Zoom, you know, and and how he would Zoom would be going too quickly and he he didn't there was no way for him to sort of ask for help or interject and then he would become so overwhelmed and then he would come stomping down the stairs from his bedroom after the Zoom was over and he'd throw his arms up and he'd be crying and he'd say I'm a failure and I was just like oh um and so I'm grateful for the fact that we've gone through this experience because I don't I don't know if I would have seen any of this. His teachers have never told me that they he had any sort of issues. I think it's it's just because he was in a safe place that he could he could, you know, we could watch this all happening in real time. Um so how has your parenting I guess changed since your own diagnosis? Well I will say that my um 
I don't know if it's changed much. And part of it is, is because I have been advocating for them for so long now. Mm-hmm. And remember, I started this process of several years ago. So it was just more fine tuning. It was just more of, um, I get you and I understand you because now I understand I, it because now there's a, 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 I know people sometimes hate this, but it's a label to it, right? So I can really connect with you on a deeper level because I have gone through those same things. And it was because I've had ADHD all of this time. Right. And so it's really more of connecting with them differently because now my son looks at me and says, you have ADHD, so you understand, right? <laughs> and he will remind me that you understand because you have ADHD. But when before it was just a parent that was advocating and just looking out for him. So I think mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest change is just just the connection piece because he knows I've always, and I remind him, I always have your back. And when you are struggling at school or when you're having problems with a kid or you're having problems with a teacher, I am always there for you. And so, um, so that hasn't changed. It's just the connection piece has changed. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And, and being able to sort of see how you would react in a, in a certain situation. Like for instance, you know, if my son is really overwhelmed by, by an assignment where there's a lot of questions and he feels like he's just never, he doesn't know how to start and I can kind of sit him down and we take a deep breath and we're like, okay, let's break this down into the smaller parts and all of these things that I'm like, I have to do this for myself and always have. And so I can kind of, it's, it's something amazing about the fact that like, now that we have the label of our own diagnosis, it's given me permission to help him in a way I don't know if I ever did before because we are so used to doubting ourselves, you know? I think we we grow up with that sense of like, it's I'm the one who's wrong. It's not the system that's failing me. I've done something wrong. I'm the failure. And so now with the diagnosis, I can I talk to myself so differently. I talk to myself, I'm sort of like, okay, this is a situation that's not that's not working. How can I how can I, what tools do I need to fix it? What can we do? Like it's never, my default is never, I'm the failure anymore. And I feel like what a gift to, to be able to turn around and give that to your kids in, in these formative years. Yeah. So that's actually a really good point. So I will say that my interaction with my children hasn't changed much, but the interaction with myself has. And mm-hmm. so that is a really good point that you you said, because all of this time, all through my struggles, I just thought there was something wrong with me. And even though, like I say, and I'll say this through probably throughout the whole interview, I was very blessed to have the parents that I had because they always uplifted me, even though I was doubting myself. And they were always saying how you know great of a person I was and how smart I was and they established some of those things where if somebody said something different, I would say, no, I'm not. If my parents say I'm smart, I'm smart, right? (laughs) But behind the scenes, sometimes I would self-doubt. I would have self-doubt or I would talk negatively to myself. And now having, knowing that all this time, it really was symptoms of ADHD. It almost just, it was like a relief. It was like, wow. So all all this time that I was struggling, there was really a reason why. And um, like I said, if it wasn't for my parents, I probably would have gone down a totally different rabbit hole. (laughs) And so I am just so glad for that. I'm so glad to discover this diagnosis because it just put so many different things in perspective. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I know. And my mother who has passed on, so I, uh, there's so much since my diagnosis, I wanted to talk to her about it, ask her about, because, you know, you do, you go over your whole childhood with this new lens and I'm just like turning over stones here and there and remembering things. And, and, you know, she was so positive in terms of the fact that I had two older brothers who were very high, you know, they always had straight A's were very sort of high performing um, scholarships, great colleges and universities. And then I came along and she didn't know what to do with me. And that was sort of the narrative that I grew up with, which was you're, you know, you are, you had a higher IQ than either of your brothers, but they got good grades and you didn't. And and what do we do with that information? And it was sort of, sort of like a joke, like it was lighthearted, like, oh, Katie, you know, she'd say like, oh, you have street smarts, not book smarts. Or, you know, when I, I, I I've, didn't get into university my first time, my first try, because my grades weren't good enough. And, and so she was always like, well, you know, it's not for everybody. And I know she was trying to make me feel good, but it was now looking back, I realized like how deeply her, um, I internalized that, you know, of like, what is wrong with me? Um, anyway, uh, speaking of your past and growing up, where do, what do you look back and, and think like, oh yes, that was, that was obviously ADHD and I had no idea. Um, so there was a quite a few things. I, I just listed a few things, like for example, not being really good with people. And I, in my perception, I was really bad at relationships, um, keeping them like I was a social butterfly and wanted to have the relationships, but I just never knew how to really interact. And I say perception because I put that out there because when I talk to my mom, she says, you've had plenty of friends. <laughs> and I'm thinking, but then again, she may have not really realized some of the struggles that I went through when I was just with them, right? And how sensitive I was to what somebody would say or a joke that they would make. And even if they made that joke, they would make it with anybody else. I was just the one that internalized it, right? So which is the next thing is that I tend to internalize everything. Everything a teacher said, everything my mom said, everything a friend said, it just all came within me. And so I just internalized everything. And I just felt like no matter how hard I worked, I mean, I would just put in so much effort to just exceed. I felt I wasn't getting far. Like I never made the honor roll, for example, and I couldn't figure out why. And some of it was just little things like it would take me five times to read the same passage to really absorb anything, right? And now I understand as an adult, it was just because most likely it was boring, right? <laughs> and I just couldn't focus on it. <laughs> so I tried and I um, worked hard in school and I'm not saying that I was a horrible student, I was a good student, but I just felt like I was not good enough and I could never reach those grades like some of the other kids could. And if I knew about ADHD, as well as they're talking about it now, because obviously there still needs to be a lot of conversation even today. But if I knew, then I might've been able to implement some techniques back then to really help me get to where I needed to be. Um, the other thing is, is that I, like, I was very talkative in class. I um, tend to get you know, in trouble quite a bit for talking all the time. And um, I'm very impulsive even today. So I, so like, for example, I, you know, decided to jump out of a plane and I decided to go to Mexico and live there for nine months. And, you know, I decided that I'm going to go to Fort Lauderdale and do, you know, help get people on a ballot. And I mean, it's just like, just, 
you know, just because. <laughs> I know. I actually love that about myself. You know, I also had a very like impulsive sense of just picking up and traveling alone, you know, for months at a time when I was younger. And even, you know, when I met my husband, I had, I had just like decided one day that at the age of 27, that I was going to leave my hometown and moved to this random place in the middle of nowhere in New York state, because I had this idea that I wanted to like live in a country house. I basically wanted to be Julia Roberts from, from sleeping with the enemy. You know, I wanted to like reinvent myself because the, 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 um, identity I was leaving behind was, was a mess. You know, I like, I had all this debt and I felt like a failure in so many ways. And I was like, I'm going to reinvent myself. I wonder, actually, I've never made that connection. I wonder if there is that sort of impulsivity um, and that also that feeling like, God, I've made a mess of this life. Let me start something new somewhere else. If that is common with people, because I totally did that and ended up thank you know, meeting my husband at this new job in this new place I had moved to. And, and now I'd sort of joke about the fact that I'm trapped here <laughs> because, uh, you know, and it's great because I'm like, Oh, the, you know, fates brought me to you. And we have this wonderful romantic story about how I like just picked up and left and randomly came to this place. And obviously now I know why, but there's so much interest, you know, I'm so fascinated looking back at like all of these crazy impulsive ways that we do things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, now with relationships and um, emotional regulation, this is something I hear from a lot of women. And I'm curious what your experience was in terms of managing your emotions growing up. Um, I didn't do it very well. My emotions were, I will say probably all the way through college, my emotions were all away, all over the place. Um, I could cry on the drop of a hat, like I said, because I internalized so much. I was always very sad and always very hurt. My feelings were always hurt. Mm -hmm. And if somebody was mad at me, I would take that, you know, to be bigger than what it was. So I would say that my emotions were all over the place growing up. Now, there was a certain point where it just kind of transitioned. I don't know if it's just because I've gotten older, um, where they are there, but it's just not as, I'm not as, e, and I hate using this word again, there's another one that I, but I'm not as emotional <laughs> as I was when I was younger. And, um, and maybe a lot of it is that I think I'm just very, I'm, I'm proud of me. I'm, um, I've, I've come a long way and I think it's just more self-confidence where if somebody says something, it does not penetrate me the same way as if they did when I was younger. And the, the funny thing is, is that I worked very hard growing up. I was a good loyal friend. I was a good person. My mom says that I was um, probably pretty easy and, but I just didn't feel like I was all of those things where today I know I'm all of those things. So I'm just not as like, like I said, if people joke with me, I just don't internalize it like I did when I was growing up. So I would say mm -hmm. probably more emotional when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. One thing I've noticed again in the short time that I've been kind of immersing myself in the ADHD community, because that's what you do. You find out you have ADHD and you binge listen to podcasts and you join every single Facebook group and you follow everybody on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> one thing I've noticed is that some of the most sort of profound authoritative 
uplifting voices in the ADHD community are Black women. And I find it interesting because there is... I mean, if you think about, I think about my own emotional regulation struggles growing up with all of these ideas about feeling like a failure and feeling, you know, wanting to please and feeling like you just can't and all of this stuff. And then you add in the black woman tax, you know, of, of emotional regulation just in general. And I, so I think what you say now with, you know, feeling now as an adult that you have that authority, you have that self-control and that ability to like let things wash over you (laughs) in a way that you've had to right because that has been your experience I think really I think it's something to recognize and I think it's also something to um for me as a woman just to be so grateful for the fact that your voices are out there and and to kind of acknowledge that that level of difficulty is was just that much greater. You know, we talk about, oh, we work 10 times harder than everybody else. And that's sort of a common theme in the ADHD. But you, you know, I feel like for a black woman and for women like you and for uh, Renee Brooks and, and Sandra Coral, and I know there's so many other voices I'm not thinking of right now, but like, um, it's fascinating to me how um, it's it's brought you to this point where you are sort of like really the most sobering, insightful voices out there for us. I appreciate that. I mean, and, you know, thank you for that, Katie, because, so there's, there's a couple things that's going on. So there is a cultural, um, I will say a cultural way where we do not talk about mental health. And so we are very, um, we, we, we're very enclosed about that type of topic, right? So, for somebody like me and the people that you had mentioned, um, it's very, it's different for us because we want to make sure that our culture realizes it's okay to talk about mental health. As a matter of fact, it's important to talk about mental health, mental health and share our experiences. So that's the part one is that it's not even really talked about culturally as much and we really need to get out there and educate as much as possible and do our part. But the other piece is, like you said, when you have, so... You know, I was just talking to um, someone else about, for example, uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria, right? Mm -hmm. So there is, you know, what you experience as a person, the rejection, and then what you experience as a Black person, right? And so, um, and being able to manage all of that across the board and still being able to you know, get through it and being able to talk about it and being able to educate others about it and, and because it really is, even though as a person with ADHD and I am um, internalizing it all, the reality is it's really almost two separate things, right? So mm-hmm. it's living as a Black person, as a Black woman, and then there is what I'm going through as a person that has ADHD. So so thank you for recognizing that because it is a very, um, you know, we want to make sure that we are educating um, about the topic too, but also educating as um you know, as black women also. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also just a level of like self-protection there too. Like one thing I've noticed because I really didn't think much about the repercussions of coming out as a woman with ADHD publicly. And for me, it's been a positive experience. It's been, you know, I've, my life is just radically different and I'm excited. And I, I feel like the world is my oyster now in a way that I never did before. And so 
you know, I talk about it openly and, and inevitably there's somebody whose who's reply is like pitying me in a, you know, sort of that, that idea of just like, oh, I'm sorry you're going through this. And I, and I, it bothers me in a way because, you know, in a way that most random internet comments don't bother me because I sort of feel like, no, when I was struggling, I was silent. I was quiet. Now, uh, you know, I'm not struggling. And, and in fact, this is amazing. And I'm being open about it and trying to spread the awareness. And the fact that you are looking at me and thinking like you're pitying me is really, you know, it's harsh in my mellow. Like, I'm just like, I can't, I don't know what to do with that, you know, emotion. And I think that that's something I'm working through right now, which is like, I, my re- immediate response is, well, I'm going to stop sharing. And I know that that's not the issue, but I'm realizing that, you know, wanting to avoid that feeling of like misunderstanding and, and again, just like pity. You're like, I don't want, you know, I don't want pit. This is not what I'm looking for. I don't need it. I'm way past that point. Um, I find difficult. So I, I can imagine just extending that as well to, to race and any sort of talking about these issues at all openly, you're going to open yourself up to the responses you're not necessarily <laughs> welcoming. And and so there's that level of self-protection there, I'm sure. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. <sighs> so, um, yeah, so like I said, I, I, I'm sure i I still have rose colored glasses because it hasn't been that long, but I do sort of feel like everything I'm experiencing has been for the most part positive after a lifetime of, of that sort of hidden secret negativity. Um, so I'm curious for you, what are some of the things that you feel like are, um, what do you love most about your own ADHD and how it, and how it presents itself in your life? Um, so that again, now that I know a lot of what I do does fall under ADHD, these are things that have been always a part of my life. One of it is creativity. So I'm, you know, I'm a very creative person. Um, I'm great at writing and telling stories, for example, horrible at editing, but I can write. <laughs> I need somebody else to edit my work. Um, so, and I can come up with games and I can come up with fun things with my kids. I mean, just that creative piece of me. Uh, the other thing is I'm very determined, almost sometimes obsessive when I really like something and want to, um, uh, you know, I want it to be successful. So like, for example, I put together my parents' 45th wedding anniversary and, um, you know, there was probably about, you know, 80 to 90 people that came and I, you know, detailed it out and I was just, I just wanted it to turn out perfectly for them. And so I try to make sure that, you know, everything is in place. So just the determination to make sure that I, um, you know, supported them knowing again, they were there for, you know, all of my life. I wanted to make sure it turned out well, but not just in that I'm determined in terms of, you know, I went back to get my MBA. I graduated this year, no, last year. 2020 um, with my MBA at 45, right? So I was determined once I'd set my mind to it, I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it in two years. (laughs) And so I did it. And I was, you know, it was the first time I was on honor. I was, uh, I got a 4.0, you know, I was just like, that was like huge for me. Um, So determination is probably one of the biggest things. I'm a big time problem solver. And my mom actually says I'm, I'm like a mini detective, right? So I can, you know, there's people who come to me, you know, talking through situations because I'm really good at solving problems. Now, it doesn't work as well on my kids. They don't want me solving their problems. 
they don't want me doing that. So, um, but I'm a very good problem solver and I'm very observant. And so I can see the bigger picture and then I can also see all of the pieces and parts that work in it. So um, I'm very good at being observant. Uh, I'm, I'm good at focusing on things, getting things completed. And then uh, the other piece that I put is I consider myself very compassionate. So some people think, you know, I don't know if ADHD is connected to being an empath, um, but I just, I just feel people, right? I feel their happiness. I feel their pain. I feel their situations. Um, I just love connecting, you know, with them on a deeper level. So um, because I, especially in the ADHD world, I get them, right? So um, so I would say some of those things. I love making obtuse connections. Um, and, and I think also it's, we sort of joke about it when you're having a conversation with somebody and then you make like a three, six, you know, 180 pivot to something else. And you're, and they're like, what, where, what did that have to do with this? And you're like, Oh no, you know, there's all of these different ways in which I'm, why I'm, now we're talking about, you know, salmon when we were talking about cars. Um, yeah. I know. I know the favorite line is, so how did we get to that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And that's one thing I love about having ADHD, interviewing women with ADHD about ADHD. It's like where the conversations go. And I'm assuming the listeners also have ADHD. So they are along for the ride. And there are a thousand different ways in which the conversations go. And I love it. It's great. Um, and, and as I said, that's that I know why I started this podcast because I love intentional conversations. And I, I know how much I learn about myself and, and my children and the world around me through having conversations and listening to people like you tell your stories. Um, and I, I know that there is a similarity there with your interviews on your YouTube videos. I just, uh, I love them. And I want to know how you kind of got into that. What made you start that? And, and you have a engineering degree and a mass communications degree, right? So you do have some journalism background, right? That's funny you say that. So it's like opposite sides of the spectrum, right? Of course, <laughs> right? Of course. So you talk about impulsive um, or impulsivity. So all the way up until 11th grade, I swore I was going to be an actress and a dancer. That was what I was going to do. <laughs> And one week I went to a women in engineering program and then I came home and said, you know what? I'm going to go be an engineer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. Um, but, you know, even through that time, I still wanted to, even though it wasn't acting and dancing, I, mean, I did some things, you know, socially on the side, took dance classes, things like that. Um, I still really wanted to get into being an anchor someday and a reporter and get into journalism. And so that's why I decided to go back to um, get my degree in mass communications. But, you know, after being an engineer for a little while, I didn't want to have mass communications pay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I am not doing this. Now, if I had, you know, come straight out of college doing that, that was one thing. But yeah, so I decided that I just want to do some fun things on the side. So like I said, I would volunteer for different things, radio stations, um, and just try to, you know, continue as a hobby, my journalism piece. 
And so, um, so when this opportunity where I really wanted to advocate for ADHD came about, or when I thought about it, um, I thought YouTube would be a really good place because number one, it, it supports the journalism piece that I really love doing and because I love interviewing and talking to people, um, but it also um, supports me on the advocation piece. So that's kind of how it came about. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's great. And then you don't have to write because I feel like, uh, I, I was a, I was a journalist for so long and, and the hardest part of it was actually writing the article. I loved the interviewing. I loved the research. I loved the point form notes, all of that. I mean, and, and same at school, but it was like when it actually came to like sitting down and writing the article, there I was at 1159 right before the deadline. <laughs> and so the medium of video and podcasting, I think is so great because I don't have to think about all of that. <laughs> I can kind of do the research in the moment. No, that's exactly right. So that's exactly why I did this direction instead of doing like blogging. Uh, because like I said, I'm actually a good storyteller, but I'm a horrible writer and I'm okay with that. I mean, it is what it is right now. If I had somebody on staff who could review my information, I mean, even just like the posts, I'm sometimes I frustrate myself because every once in a while I'll have that one error <laughs> on my post. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's already out. Right. And so yeah, so that's why I like doing the videos because I'm I, I don't have to write things in detail. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I definitely relate to the perfectionist. In fact, it was funny because when you were talking about your parents' anniversary, I was thinking about my wedding and how I'd sort of had the same approach to that, where it was like every single detail I did myself. I designed the invites. I just, you know, I sent people maps of where to go and all, like I did all of it. And then the thought of like, if one thing had a typo, it was like the entire day was ruined, you know? <laughs> and... um you know, how, how we deal with that. I mean, there's so much there. There's like the perfectionism, but there's also the RSD and the comparison and the impulsivity because we tend to hit send too quickly and like all <laughs> inability to self-edit, all of that stuff. Uh, it's amazing. Well, uh, I love the interviews you're doing and I love what you're bringing out in, in the voices and it's such a wonderful resource. So I'm so grateful for everything you're doing. Um, so how can people reach out to you? What, how can they find you? And um, are you working with anyone? Are you working with people right now? Is that something you're interested in doing? Yeah, so um, my goal is probably, I'm looking at third, fourth quarter this year to implement my coaching program. So that's something that I'm going to try to put together also. So I'm right now, I'm literally in the details trying to outline it and put together the program now. Um, awesome. That's what I'm looking for, probably about third, fourth quarter. But in the meantime, I just want to continue to interview, you know, parents and, you know, like I said, educators and um, just other experts just around the topic around ADHD. So I just want to put as much information. I want my site to be another one-stop shop because that's the kind of the ideal of it is just, you know, having one place where everybody can come. So that's kind of the, my thought process. But as far as reaching me, they can reach me through Instagram at ADHDlove2020. Um, they can reach me on Facebook, again, ADHDlove2020. I just started Twitter. I don't have any posts up there, but I'll put it out there because eventually I will. And that's, again, ADHDlove2020. <laughs> and then I have a merchandise site, um, which is uh, www.adhdlove.com. No, ADHDlove2020.com. 
um, 2020. Don't worry, I'll put it all in the show notes. Yeah. So it's kind of when I started. So 2020 is just when things, you know, just, I will say the, the start of my journey, um, for the avocation piece. So that's why 2020 is there. Um, and ADHD love, um, 2020 at gmail.com. If you ever want to reach me directly. Awesome. That's right. I, I, I love the merchandise side of it. And I think it's a great connection too. And I think that's such a nice like companion. Um, I don't, I, maybe it's something about just like the excitement of being in this community of wanting to like, you know, there's so many great memes. There's so many great like one-liners. I think we just like appreciate that so much more. Um, so yeah, I really, the, I, I, I love the, uh, the merchandise connection. It's made me thinking. It's gotten me thinking now of like what I want to do Absolutely. in terms of, right? Of like, you know, there's a sense of like so many ideas and so many places and not knowing where to put them all. And and I love that one. That's great. Um, well, anyway, I'd love talking to you about parenting. And I I, um, I think it's, it's so much of what you talk about and so much of what you share, I certainly relate to very deeply. And so I'm sure a lot of people do. And so, um, yeah, thanks for what you're doing for the community. It's been really lovely talking to you and, and getting to hear more of your personal story. I appreciate um, it, Katie. Thank you for having me on. It was a really good opportunity. You already know I'm reaching out to you, right? So as soon as we <laughs> I am now that I know you're a mom, I'm going to be sending you a uh, instant message for you to come on mine. So just so you know. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Well, I'll look forward to any excuse to talk more. So (laughs) there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.